Before we get to our episode, I wanted to give a quick reminder that my new book, The Plant-Based Athlete, which I co-wrote with a good longtime friend, Robert Cheek, uh, that is available for pre-order. It comes out on June 15th, 2021. And uh, anytime up until then, if you pre-order the book, you'll get a big, huge package of bonuses that Robert and I have put together. So in addition to all the great information we've packed into The Plant-Based Athlete, including meal plans and 60 recipes, plus a day in the life of 25 top plant-based athletes, you'll also get this incredible package of bonuses. Uh, But you got to do it before the book comes out on June 15th, and that's at book.nomeatathlete.com. This episode is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers for a personalized action plan. Save 25% today when you go to insidetracker.com slash NMA. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Meet Athlete Radio. Hey, everyone. Matt Fraser here, uh, along with my friend and co-author, Robert Cheek, who's been, uh, Robert, you've been on the podcast quite a few times now. You've Actually, you're probably now the uh, the in sole possession of first place as far as number of episodes recorded with this recent run. Well, I'm honored, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> I know I was tied for first and then was uh, away for about four years. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be welcomed back. It must have been yeah. something I said. Definitely. And we may even have you on one more time when the actual book, our, our book, The Plant-Based Athlete, comes out. Uh, when it's actually out, I think we'll probably have you on one more, one more time there. And then the Nomad Athlete audience will have had, had their fill of Robert Cheek, and we'll probably go a year until you're invited back on. <laughs> I, I know how that goes. I know how that goes. <laughs> you, you can only take so much of Robert before I got to turn the other cheek. <laughs> nice. Very good. It sounds almost as if you've made that joke before. <laughs> Once or thrice. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, uh, by the way, we should, this this is not uh, meant to be a pitch or anything, but I, I should add that we have a whole lot of uh, media coming up. Uh, I guess we can drop some names, right, Robert, of, of what we'll, – just because I'm thinking our, our audience as podcast listeners may also listen to a bunch of other podcasts or want to be searching for other podcasts. Um, we recorded Ritual, which actually was where we had the conversation that generated this podcast episode's topic. Uh, the night before Ritual. But anyway, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, so Ritual podcast is coming out. I don't know the date on that one, but that's coming out soon. Um, tomorrow, you and I record three podcasts. It's like the beginning of the media blitz uh, tomorrow. We do uh, Jeff Sanders, 5 a.m. Miracle, also a, a multi-time Nomad Athlete radio guest. Then what, Robert? We got Plant Strong with Rip. Is that right? Also a multi-NMA guest. Man, a lot of, a lot of multi-NMA guests out there. Not Cyrus and uh, and Robbie though they're they are never been on our show and that's our third podcast tomorrow mastering diabetes. Yeah, this is the this is like the not not really the home stretch it's like the start of the, <laughs> the very beginning yeah it's like it's suddenly all amped up at once uh, and then the next day another multi time NMA radio guest Sid Garza Hillman we do his podcast what Sid thinks so that's just in the next like forty eight or thirty six hours really from now um, so it's getting busy and then and then there's all kinds of uh, stuff planned for the two weeks later when we've got the like the 20 episode 20 radio interviews in a row a whole whole day marathon session of just doing i think 20 minute interviews uh, and there are literally 20 of them so that that's going to be uh i don't know if fun is the word for that one but it'll be interesting yeah that would be like a uh we need a, we need a half marathon roadmap for that one um <laughs> if only there was one that was written uh if only uh and then and then we've got what a bunch of I mean, it seems like a lot of the TV stuff is in the work. I was told Jillian Michaels. I don't know if that one's confirmed yet, but that sounded like that was happening. And then, and then TV shows. Um, some, I, I guess we probably shouldn't say names yet because I don't, I don't think they're definite. So we will let that, let that simmer. But anyway, um, so that's what's going on with us. And this, this actually, this very podcast is sort of the first uh, to me, like the kickoff of our little media blitz. So here we go. Um, All right. Sorry about that. Day in the life. I have a new cat, Robert, that we uh, rescued from, well, Aaron and my, my daughter Ellie rescued back in Asheville um, because we had a really bad mouse problem. And we thought we thought perhaps the most natural way to stop a mouse problem would be have a cat. Not because we want to see a bunch of dead mice, because we certainly don't, and we haven't, but uh, we were told that it would just be like a, a deterrent, which is exactly what it's been. She's not allowed any mice to come in the house, and uh, we've also not found any dead ones, so it's working out. <laughs> kind of like that, except 
there's no dynamite. There's no the mouse never chases the cat, and so yeah. So actually, not at all like that, but um, a good a good nostalgic uh, historical context. Just a just a yes, definitely a typical cat and mouse story. Anyway, um, let's see. The plant based athlete is our book. Um, it's we've talked about it plenty, of course, and we will continue to talk about it until it comes out, and and a few weeks after it comes out, and probably even after that, uh, because it is a huge deal for both of us. Uh, I don't know if crowning achievement is the right word, but maybe. Maybe it will have been that when we look back. Uh, it's certainly a book that we are very, very proud of. Um, as we'll get to in this episode, I think, you know, for me, like, it, it's the book that's no longer about us. It's it's about lots of others this time, uh, including all the things we've learned. But I think it's, to me, I think it's going to have a much bigger, more important place in this movement than any of my previous work. At least I, I hope so. I think it I think it makes sense as, that, as, as being more important. But who really knows? Um, we will find out. So anyway, that's that. Uh, you can check it out at book.nomadeathlete.com and you can get lots of good, great pre-order bonuses if you do. But, uh, let's, let's get to this topic. And as I said, this one, I think this, like you and I have had this conversation over the years in, in like in different phases of our careers. Um, because you've been at this vegan fitness game for 25 years. I started Nomad Athlete 12 years ago and went vegan, uh, just over 10 years ago, actually. Uh, I was vegetarian, or, or not, not even fully vegetarian when I started Nomad Athlete, but but gradually became vegan. Um, so we've each been at it for quite a while and gone through different phases from like being someone who's kind of new at it or like in many ways kind of the only game in town in our respective niches for a little while as far as going on the internet and finding information went. Um, you know, and, and then it evolved over time. And like I went through a period where I didn't want anything really to do with like being a blogger or, or being the kind of front man for something. Um, and that that's what this conversation was kind of about. Uh, just the, I guess, sort of the behind the scenes, um, it really in terms of ego. Like ego is kind of the, the, the theme that runs behind this. Uh, so we started talking before Ritual, um, the night before you and I were having vegan pizza at a place in Venice, California. And we just kind of started talking about like uh, – I don't even remember where where it began, or like how we got the conversation started. But we started talking about how, like, you know, neither of us is, is trying to be like the traditional influencer now, who goes on the internet and shares what they're eating and what their workouts are, and hope everyone admires that, and you know, then then just starts wanting to buy our stuff, and advertisers pay us money because people just trust, and we're we're the tastemakers. Like, you know, and really, that's almost never been either of us, but it certainly isn't now. Um, and we were kind of just discussing the history and sort of where things went. So I guess, I guess the easiest way to jump in would be to talk about kind of for, like, for me, it's easy to be, just begin with like when the problem started. And I think like, and I say problem because it did become a problem for me, like in terms of, it was like really, I would say lessening my quality of life and, and even causing little, like, I don't know, things at home. Like it just, it just made me not happy for a while. Um, and, and I think where it kind of began was this sort of imposter syndrome feeling which a lot of people know about that imposter syndrome it happens in in all different kind of, you know common things in life like people in in grad school or uh maybe a certain job i don't know you just get the sense that like everyone else belongs there but you don't and i think for me like when i started nomad athlete at the very beginning i was literally just writing it was just a food journal i was writing about the stuff that i was eating and doing and like that was easy enough that was fine but a billion bloggers were doing that, and it was it was nothing special when I was doing that. Um, when Nomad Athlete started to get good and get popular, was when I like basically got brave enough to start being an authority. Like after I'd been at it for, I, don't, I think after six months is when I qualified for Boston, and then people started wanting to know how I did it. Like how did I eat this then vegetarian diet, and like what was I doing, and how was I training? And I just started getting the questions because I was publicly talking about this this process of getting fitter and better and eating better and and uh eventually qualified for boston which a lot of people wanted to do so i kind of it took a while i had to embrace this like i can be you know a quote-unquote expert in a category and i can be an authority in this topic if i if i am willing to be and so that for me was like a big shift is when i started like writing blog posts that were designed to help people and I didn't say in my opinion or I think or whatever. I just like said, this is the way it is for me. Like this is this is it. And that's what makes writing and, and communication in general, like that's what makes it um, good for the most part or, or easy to stick with or engaging, uh, compelling. You know, like like 
owning it, owning what you're saying, uh, not not qualifying it, just just owning it. Um, and and I guess for me, like that that led to being introduced before I would give a talks as the nomad athlete, or at some point I think this t- I did a talk in Belgium, and the um, the bio for me was like. I don't know if it said professional endurance athlete or uh, so it's something that just wasn't true. I don't know what it was. If it was elite or professional. But like my whole thing was I was just a regular guy and I had figured out how to do some things pretty well uh, or at least do some dietary things well that helped me with the running. But I, I was never out to try to like pretend I was a pro athlete. But that was happening nonetheless. People were thinking that I was that level of athlete. So then they'd come to question with questions that came from that background like, assuming that I had all the answers because I was this accomplished, you know, athlete at it. And, and that for me, I think got to be too much where like, I, I didn't, I just, I don't know. It just, then it just felt like all the time people were now expecting that, that my stuff was going to be something that I thought it couldn't be like, whether I was writing a new blog post or doing a new podcast, that a lot of the audience was going to think that this was something that it actually wasn't because people had this idea. So I don't know. I think that's kind of where it began for me. Um, I, you know, I don't know, Robert, have we talked about that specifically? Like, did you ever have that kind of feeling? Because you were a little different in that you actually were, in many ways, one of the foremost, you know, people in your sport as far as vegans went. Uh, so, uh, you know, what about what about in your the, the beginnings of this recognition that there was some sort of issue that made you sort of like say, I got to I got to find a new way to do this? Yeah, you know, Matt, I had a actually a really similar experience. And we have not talked about that yet. Just like I hadn't heard about your experience speaking in Belgium, but I I've had very similar things where people would refer to me as like, you know, world champion, you know, vegan bodybuilder and, you know, all these professional vegan bodybuilder and all these things that just weren't, that weren't accurate. You know, I competed as a, as an amateur bodybuilder, but because I was one of the only people in the world that anybody knew of who was a vegan bodybuilder, I got a lot of attention. I got a lot of media. I got a lot of recognition. So I was on magazine covers and in magazines and speaking on stages around the world and and invited to be interviewed by New York Times and Wall Street Journal and all these publications. But for me, it started to get out of hand as well because, you know, yes, I competed at the at the INBA Natural Bodybuilding World Championships, but that's one small a drug tested natural bodybuilding federation that didn't even have that many people competing in it in in it at the time even at the world championships there wasn't even that much competition and so you know i have these various titles and these various victories in bodybuilding but i think as i was telling you at dinner in venice i i was never really that great of a bodybuilder i was just early in the vegan bodybuilding world. And, and yes, I think I've, I've done the math. I, I placed ahead of more people than placed ahead of me as far as uh, <laughs> multiple times I got first, uh, uh, four times I was runner up. I've also been dead last. I've been fourth, I've been seventh, you know, I've been all over the place. But in general, I think I, you know, I placed ahead of just slightly more people than placed ahead of me, which would make me kind of average, right? It would make me kind of in the, in the middle. Um, I had I, I had my moments and and luckily we had you know for me I have those photos that uh, are just kind of forever there uh, that are kind of my signature photos of me winning competitions that have been used in Alicia Silverstone's book and in uh, literature probably by by vegan outreach and and many others but it, it also got like like you it got to a point where you know it was. I didn't feel like that guy that was like the necessarily the authoritative vegan bodybuilding guy uh, anymore. I mean, for a while I was, I think I joked with you and and maybe on a few podcasts that I had a a pretty good sized ego when I got into this thing. I thought I was like the next Tiger Woods. This is back in the, you know, 2001, 2002 when he was, you know, the, the young, the young kid on the, on the golf circuit taking the world by storm. So you felt like that you that you might be that on the vegan bodybuilding, like that you might be that that competitive of a bodybuilder, not just not just the early you know ambassador of this. Yes, I thought I'd be I would be competitive, but I also thought I'd be recognized as such. Uh-huh. And in a way, I was I was considered the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder, and that lasted for a number of years. 
But then along came Tori Washington and Nimai Delgado and a bunch of others who were just better bodybuilders and they were just they were just better at it. And they were in a lot of ways more marketable. And I started getting behind them and promoting them and and um, including them in, in some of my work. Right. Like Tori was featured in my book Shred It and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And Nimai endorsed my previous book, uh, Plant Based Muscle. And and I realized that my place in the vegan fitness world was changing. And not just in the vegan fitness world, but in the vegan bodybuilding world, I wasn't that go-to person anymore. Uh, and that was that was challenging at times to deal with, because I think I did start out by wanting to be that that Tiger Woods or, or Michael Jordan of vegan bodybuilding, and mm-hmm. I and I tasted enough of it uh, to to really feel like I was. And, and that's from the media attention or from the social media attention in the early days or the all expenses paid trips around the world to speak and all this stuff. And, and then that all started to, to slip away. And then like you, I, I kind of, I had to deal with that internally a little bit and try to find my new place in the movement. Yeah. It's, it's funny to hear you say, I mean, it's like, there's so many parallels and I'm guessing that like, I'm guessing we have a lot of listeners, first of all, first of all, who, who, you know, have felt this sort of thing in their life. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing this episode and who would care about it. But like, uh, I'm sure there's a handful who, who are, you know, do their own influencer thing uh, and have dealt with this. So, it's par- so partially it's for them. Partially it's also for people who, who, you know, aren't that, um, but, but maybe see that uh, everybody sees that. Like we see it's all over social media. You see these influencer types and I'm guessing that nearly everyone has had this sort of thing. I could, could be wrong about that. But we talked about it with Rich, not on the episode, but about him. And he, he even said that he felt some of this stuff too. Um, so I'm guessing it is a nearly universal thing among people who, who get any kind of, any share of the spotlight in the social media world. Um, so anyway, that that's kind of, you know, the motivation for this. But I think it's interesting to hear you say things like um, that you've counted how many people you finished ahead of versus finished behind. Because that was something like, for me, I definitely like that was one of my bits of ammunition for convincing myself that I did belong here, that like I wasn't an imposter at this because I would say like, look, like compared to Olympic runners or even even people not even close to that, but just elite runners who are running two, you know, 220, 230 marathons, um, you know, I was still 40 minutes slower than that at my best. But I would do that thing where I'd say, yeah, but look, like I'm finishing in this percent of the of the field, and and if even if I just look at my age group, I'm still in this you know top whatever twenty ten percent whatever it was. But like the fact that I had to had to justify that to myself or do that number to convince myself that like like I don't know. I guess to me like the fact that that even has to happen that speaks to the problem that that I couldn't be comfortable just being being who I was because I like who I knew I was wasn't who people thought I was I guess and and, the, and I guess <laughs> this is sort of to uh to make myself feel better I guess but like I never tried to kind of trick anyone to make them think that I was a, a better athlete than I was I really didn't uh it was just a weird thing that that I think that's what people want from from their 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 influencers which wasn't even the word back then um but I think people just want they they, they don't want to hear that you're just a regular guy they want they want to hear that that you know you're you're up on a pedestal and that they can then look to you as like a guru or something um so anyway so that it's funny to hear that kind of thing um you kind of alluded to what what was like the next point in the progression for me and that was this like comparing and keeping up phase where at like not only was i not happy because now i felt really uncomfortable whenever i was giving a talk or being introduced or you know as i said even just writing a blog it just felt like people were going to interpret this as coming from someone different than who it actually was coming from so not only did i feel that dissatisfaction but you'd think like that would that would also lead to you know a good side the side that said hey this feels good people are recognizing me people are thinking of me as an authority this but it turns out that there's this like kind of darker side that anyone knows who's ever tried to compare themselves to other people right it's this trap that you're you're never going to be the very best in whatever it is you do it's just there's always going to be someone who's better at least in some nuance or some way, you will be able to find someone who's better. And, and most of the time, it's going to be many people who are better. Um, and so that was like the other side of it for me was I would look around, not not at other athletes so much, although some sometimes it would be that, but like other bloggers like who had started at the same time as I did and who I perceived as 
you know, they were doing something better and they were, had a, had a larger number of subscribers. Back then everyone would like post their, their subscriber count. And I remember the day it hit 10,000 and the day it hit 100,000. But, you know, in my mind, it was always a little behind what it should have been because I could find someone who got there faster uh, or had more. And then, it, then like, I guess around maybe 2014, 15, um, after I'd been at it for a few years, had written a book by now, you know, th- the movement started really catching on. This is probably the same time period when you're mentioning Tori and Nimai. Um, in that, like, and now suddenly, like, Rich Roll was now on the scene, and and just lots of other people were were now doing stuff, and there were other vegan sports books, uh, you know, and, and like, no longer was Nomad Athlete the only game in town. Not that it ever was the only, never was I the first one doing this, of course, but like, I happened to be one of the very first to to like build a community around it and publish a lot of content about it. So for me, it felt like that, and then suddenly it wasn't, and suddenly you know these people were becoming superstars more more than I perceived myself as as being one, uh, for sure. And that was also hard to hit. So like now, not only was I that was I feeling uncomfortable in this role, I also was was feeling like dissatisfied with with my place in it and my progress in it. Um, and, and for me, I would say that's when things started to get really bad. And, and I don't mean bad like they didn't they didn't. I don't know. Like it it didn't become this huge visible problem, but I would say like my my sense of fulfillment and happiness. Uh, like it started to to really deteriorate, and I think that you know my wife could could feel that happening. Um, it, it wasn't like we didn't discuss that. I didn't. I wasn't open about that, and I didn't even know that I was really dealing with anything. I just it just sort of happened. Um, but I think I think it did like impact. Like I said earlier, my life at home. It just I just wasn't wasn't as happy as I I could be um, because I was I was really dissatisfied with this whole thing. And so for me, like that's that's when I finally hit this point where I said this is too. And I, I think I, I literally remember it hitting a breaking point, um, and it was just a weird thing. And I was out in California, I had to drive up the coast um, from San Diego up to San Francisco area for an event, and my wife and kids had to fly home from San Diego because we were out there visiting my wife's brother, um, and they had to fly home. And I'm like, there was some thought of I might come home with them, and I'm, I I forget what, how what the details were. But it ended up just feeling like a very distant thing. Like we decided I would just drive. They flew home. And I remember like that was like as low as it got, this feeling of like, oh, my God. Like I think I, I think I just spent three or four days out there in California, but I was so focused on work and thinking about this stuff and wrapped up in this whole, uh, you know, trying to be significant, basically my ego, um, that I didn't really enjoy that time. And then they were then they were leaving. And I just remember it just was like such a low um, and I had this long car ride to think about stuff, and I and I listened to something. I got uh, I listened to a Tim Ferriss podcast with with um, Whitney Cummings, the comedian, and she recommended in that book uh, a book called "The Drama of the Gifted Child." Have you heard of that, Robert? By chance? No, I'm not familiar with it. You should totally read it. Uh, as should anyone who who you know this this feeling that like you need to be the best, or you need to be better, or the way that you get love, the way you earn love and earn approval is by being really good and it's something that happens to a lot of kids who who are i don't know if if the premise is that they actually are gifted and as a result this is why they start to um you know feel this kind of pressure or if it's more just that the pressure gets created around the idea that the kid might be gifted uh regardless of whether or not there is any gift to be had um but but that idea starts to make the kid start to be a striver and and one who that's where they get their sense of self-worth from self-worth self-worth from uh is from achievement and as i was reading this book which i downloaded immediately and read it in the hotel and and like i was like it was like a light bulb went off i was like oh my like it was more than it was like a lightning bolt hit me i was like oh my god like this is this has been controlling my entire life like this every every waking minute this is going on in the background uh and and that is when it began to shift for me and that's when i said this like i can see now that this is causing a problem this ego thing whatever whatever this is uh, and again, like I, I was someone who I, I always thought of myself as like kind of a humble person. I really didn't let ego get out of control. It just, I was not that type of person who would like eat this stuff up and try to like flaunt all the, like I really wasn't. I thought of myself as someone who was sort of humble, but inside there was that hunger to like do better and be more and never, it was never enough. And that, you know, that, that's when it shaped. So, so that book, that shifted it. I did a bunch of work. Um, back then, I was I was always going to like Tony Robbins things, and I went to one of his seminars back then. Um, <clears throat> I've been to several, but like 
I went to one in particular where like the whole focus for me was eliminating this significant, like literally ripping out this this signi- this drive for significance in myself, which was scary because like that that was all I had ever known. That was the thing that was exciting, like to think about setting goals and achieving something new and and like getting to some whole new level or a transformation. Like that that was that was exciting, and it was exciting because if I was successful, it would make me unique, it would make me significant, it would give me recognition, uh, give me approval essentially, and really and really give me love. Like that that's what it was all, how it was all linked up. And so, and I did this work and I really was successful. And I, I completely eliminated that for several years where I wanted nothing to do with it and I wanted the opposite and I pushed all that away. Um, and really that, that's, that's what became the next evolution of my career with Nomad Athlete uh, where I, I went several years where I didn't do almost any blogging and, and couldn't. Like I, I just couldn't imagine trying to write about running and these things. I had, I had lost interest in those in many ways. Um, and probably related very much to this whole process. But I, I just couldn't imagine writing an email or writing a blog post and sort of like being this, this trying to be this this person anymore who was in center stage. Um, and so I said, like, I'm going to build a business. This is about growing something that can that can grow beyond me. We have the Nomad Athlete Running Groups where, like, I don't need to be there. It's not about me at all. It's about these people connecting in different cities. And, yes, I made this thing with this name, Nomad Athlete, and I – made a sort of set of guidelines as to how these groups should, the attitude they should have, but that's it. Otherwise, they're not me. They can go on their own. I can feel like I'm, I've done my thing, but I don't need to be part of it, and I don't need I don't need my ego to be stroked as a result of doing it. Um, and so I went through several years where, where that was all I did, and like like that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and in many ways, it was great. It was like exactly what I, what I needed, and it was hard to feel fulfilled by it at first when I was so used to this other thing, but eventually I, I really learned to be fulfilled by that stuff. And I think it was a very good thing. Uh, I, I've kind of now swung back to, I think, a healthier place where it's in the middle, where I can I can do both of those things. Um, but yeah, but that's that's what happened. Uh, I think I did a Nomad Athlete Radio episode a long time ago. Uh, if you if you're curious, look for like Tony Robbins in the in the name. Uh, and I think this was a little before Tony Robbins had all his problems. I know he's 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 kind of uh, you know his his place in society has been a, a more controversial one recently. Uh, this was this was kind of before that uh so hopefully you know if you're looking at it you can you can look at it in 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 i guess away from that context um <clears throat> but anyway so i think i think tony robbins is in the in the episode title i think it has to maybe do with significance is is in there as well but anyway if you're interested go check that one out i talked about it a little bit more then um but i don't think i don't think opened up quite quite like like here so yeah so that so that's uh that's me robert as we were talking that one night though you and i, I mean it sounded like you had done very similar a very similar path. So why don't you, uh, why don't you talk a bit about how this looked for you and then we'll kind of bring it back, uh, to where we are now and, and, uh, wrap it up. Yeah. Well, I actually, Robert, really, really quickly, let me, uh, let me jump and thank our sponsors so that I don't forget to do this. So this is always Doug, Doug's job is to say, Hey Matt, we got to stop and thank sponsors, but he's not here. So let's do that. Hey everybody, Doug here to thank our first sponsor, Inside Tracker. Every day there is a new wellness trend. Eat that, do this, avoid those. How do you know where to start? Who to trust? Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. I got my results back last week, Matt, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a couple red flags, I got to admit. There were some, yep. th- some things that, you know, I was like, oh, man, I should... Uh, really address this and you know it's it's great to have that information they they like give you the the red flags and then the you know the yellow ones that you should be a little mindful about and then all the other ones you're good to go on did you find yourself getting angry like like at first in denial and saying no that can't be right and wrong and then who who do they think they are <laughs> yeah of course i mean you know cuz you know i I'm, you know that the I, I get my blood drawn i'm like i'm invincible right. you, know, you can just of pull course. whatever you want to it's fine uh, yeah everything is I'm good to go, you know, and of course I'm not. <laughs> yep, and I had the same same experience. Mm-hmm. And it was some that uh, that I would have thought I would have been good on. So, you know, it wasn't like obvious ones or something. So, anyway, right. really good to have that. And uh, what's really cool is Inside Tracker gives you gives you the plan, and they give you a couple of options. You can do like an aggressive plan, you know, if you wanted to have a massive, huge lifestyle change, or some simpler things that you can do to begin kind of making progress, which I really appreciate that. We talk a lot about small steps versus big changes all the time. So I, I really enjoyed that. 
Their blood tests include biomarkers that are key to performance uh, that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. And as I mentioned, they don't just give you the data, they provide you with the nutrition and lifestyle tips so that you can take action. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering NMA Radio listeners 25% off their entire store. Go to insidetracker.com slash NMA. Changes an inside job. Start inside. This episode is also brought to you by, of course, The Plant-Based Athlete, which is Yay. the new book that I wrote with our guest Robert Cheek. It's a game-changing approach to peak performance with a foreword by Dr. Michael Greger, who we all know and love. Uh, the Plant-Based Athlete is truly a manual to being a plant-based athlete. Uh, we interviewed over 60 plant-based athletes who are at the top of their games in the fitness world, Olympians, elites, pros, all kinds. They contributed recipes. They contributed days in the life. And we boiled down all the ideas into a set of concepts that you can use to take your own plant-based fitness game to the next level. Check it out. It's at book.nomiedathlete.com. comes out on June 15th, which is just, uh, what, 12 days from today, Doug, I believe, that people were hearing this. Yeah. So please check it out. Pre-orders, as I've said many times, are extremely helpful to us. Um, and uh, you can go support it and get your copy, along with some really good bonuses, if you pre-order by June 15th at book.nomadeathlete.com. And those bonuses, info on that is all on that page as well. Yes. Okay. Correct. All right. Should we get back right. to the conversation with back you and Robert? To the discussion. <laughs> all right. All right. We are back. Robert, I had just asked you um, if you would get into like your version of this how how this you you left off at you you felt yourself this comparison thing you realized that you were kind of you know now you were in a different role or maybe you could promote these people but you were not going to be the front leading guy or tried to be anymore um but but what you know how, how did you get yourself to be comfortable in this in this different role and, and how did that look for you well basically matt i was almost like i was kind of forced into it uh, in a way because I retired from bodybuilding after my absolute best year of competitive bodybuilding ever in 2009. I was in the best shape of my life. I won a competition. I, I, I placed well in others, my best photos, my best performances, but I wanted to start writing. You know, I, I wanted, I really wanted to get back to my roots and, and be a writer, which I'd always dreamed of. And I'd worked on numerous books before, but this, this was time to sit down and actually write my vegan bodybuilding and fitness book. And so I did. And during that process, as you can imagine, and you've been through it, and I'm going through it right now again, the, the stress and worry and anxiety and the, the absolute sheer work that goes into writing and releasing and marketing and promoting and selling a book made me skip the gym and I got smaller, I got weaker, I didn't even look, I didn't even look like a bodybuilder or even a former bodybuilder on the day that I released my book, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness. And it was, that was a turning point for me because here i was i had just released this book and i took myself on tour and i was driving around uh, i remember rip esselstyn invited me to speak at the whole foods market world headquarters in 2010 which i did and i in in austin texas and i continued along and in in mississippi and louisiana and florida and all these places and here i was matt giving advice about building muscle on a plant-based diet yet i wasn't even the biggest or most muscular person in the room and oftentimes not even by a long shot. They're like former football players who were intrigued because they saw a flyer that I would be coming to town. And and I started really feeling in a lot of ways a bit uncomfortable. Uh, and in fact, it got to the point, and I may have shared some of this with you. I don't remember exactly, but you know, I have, been, I have spent 15 years on a speaking tour. And some of those early days as an author, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, I would go back to some of the same cities and occasionally somebody would see me and say, Hey, Robert, you're, you're a lot smaller than the last time I saw you. And like, man, that as a bodybuilder, that was like the worst thing to hear. It was just, man, that was tough. And I went through periods where, you know, I, I absolutely did not even feel comfortable in my own skin. And you hear that a lot from people who have, oh, body image disorders, eating disorders, all this kind of stuff. But it was absolutely real within me. It was palpable. I mean, I, I mean, uh, my wife, Karen, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, you know, going back way back then in 2011, uh, she saw this for years that I always felt inadequate. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't as, as muscular as I'd been before. I wasn't the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder anymore. I wasn't the only like go-to 
you know, tried and true resource that people would go to because I had this incredible transformation from 120 pounds to 195 pounds at the time. And I just wasn't that, that, that person anymore. And, and very much like, like your, your example, Matt, um, which I actually, I kind of observed within you, I never talked to you about that, but I observed when you were a little bit more withdrawn and when you, you kind of changed your approach and your attitude and your feeling and your place in the movement. I, I'm like astutely aware of a lot of this stuff around me in the vegan <laughs> movement. I, 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 I'm sure I even talked about it with some people, probably with Karen or some of my best friends, Danny and Giacomo. Like I, we, I, I observed that some of the, with you. And for me, I, I, I had the same thing that I, I was needing, absolutely requiring, addicted to feeling significant. I mean, even to this day, Matt, and you know this, you know this to be true because of even email I sent yesterday. I always have to preface something by saying, I was up till two in the morning, you know, I'm working every minute of the day, every waking moment. I'm I literally did this yesterday and the day before and the day before, dealing with our publisher, our agent, our our publicist, with you, with others. It's for me, I think it stems from growing up and, and, and growing up on a farm and, and, and perhaps being a middle child and, and like your, your self-worth was equated with how hard you work, mm-hmm. right? Like, like for my parents, my younger brother was always the hardest working one because he was the farmer, right? He was the one that went on to become a farmer. My other brother went on to become a, you know, a tremendous career with the U.S. government. And, and my sister went on to um, get her Ph.D. And, and teaches microbiology at Washington State University. And I went on to become the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder and self-published and sold 60,000 copies of my books and, and toured around the world. But that wasn't enough because like, like that's it was like, you know, the, the, the work ethic is what was equated to like uh success or happiness or achievement or approval or significance in my own family and so i think i i stretched that into the vegan fitness movement where i wanted to be the hardest working person in the room you know mm-hmm. I, was, I was always a big fan of steve prefontaine uh, in fact i've got a poster of him right here on my wall um <laughs> you know who who said uh, at least portrayed in one of the the three films about him is there anything worse than being second best and like that, that stuck with me as, as a teenager. That's where I first, um, you know, learned that quote. And his other very famous one, which is on the wall right here, is to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And I, that's how I carried myself. And Matt, that's that's really the only reason why I'm even here with any kind of significance in the vegan bodybuilding movement was because I just outworked most people. That that's what I relied on. I relied on my work ethic, even though I had no business in the sport. I was a 120 pound farm kid at 15, almost 16 years old, and was a long distance runner. And to be honest, Matt, I, I was, in my opinion, at least, I was a better runner than I was a bodybuilder. Bodybuilder just made me unique because nobody was doing it in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so I relied on work ethic for significance and approval and and happiness and then when i hit a point where my work ethic whatever it was it met with my genetic i don't want to say genetic ceiling or anything like that but it just i wasn't necessarily built for bodybuilding like like just physically um i wasn't really built for that sport i just was able to outwork a lot of people to find some mild success in it and build a reputation and name around it but once people who had Maybe, who knows, maybe even a greater work ethic or a similar work ethic and, and better genetics and, and, and are more built for the sport came along in the vegan bodybuilding world, you know, they blew right past me. And I did the same as you. Matt, I remember telling you at dinner, I mean, I was even on the cover of a magazine at the time, working at Booth at, a, at one of the largest vegetarian festivals in the world in Chicago at the time, 2014, I think, 40,000 people there or something. And I wasn't even acknowledging that that was me on the cover. I was just quietly working behind a booth, wanting to take ego out of all of it because I just didn't feel like my place in the movement was significant anymore. And I mean, I don't want to go on too many stories or anything, but I mean, one other example was at the Super Bowl of bodybuilding at the Olympia. 
where I was palling around with Tori Washington. We were walking around together. And this was years ago, not even like one or two or three years ago, but I think at least four or five years ago. And people were stopping us like crazy, but they were stopping us to get photos because of Tori. And oftentimes people would, would hand me the camera. Hey, can you take a photo of, uh, of me and Tori? And it was like that exact moment I realized I'm not the guy anymore. And that was like, it was a literal passing of the torch moment. <laughs> and, and we talked about it. Like I was actually driving Tori around. I, I, I drove him um, to dinner where we sat down to have a dinner together and he got recognized again. And someone wanted to do a podcast with him right there on the spot. So I ate dinner by myself. And that's not a knock at Tori for, you know, for being a rude dinner date. Um, <laughs> it was just, I was losing my grasp on my place in the vegan bodybuilding world. And Tori had clearly ascended. And I drove him home where he was staying at, um, in someone's house in like a gated community in Vegas. And, and, and he was even joking as I pulled up to the uh, like security gate. Like, he's like, this is my driver. Um, you know, this is the, the number of where I'm staying or whatever. And, and Tori and I had that moment. We sat in the car together before he got out. And it was, it was an absolute honest acknowledgement of passing of the torch. Like, I'm not the guy anymore. And I, may, I probably never will be again. And that's from then on, I've conducted myself differently. I've been, I've been the, the biggest team player that I can possibly be realizing that there are so many other people who can spread this message in, in better ways than I can um, through their physical achievements in sports like vegan bodybuilding and in other sports. And if I care about the movement as much as I've, I've claimed that I do over the last quarter century, then it's almost my responsibility to get behind these athletes, which is precisely why we wrote the plant-based athlete. Yeah. And so like, that's, uh, <clears throat> that is where I kind of wanted to go next, which is like, and this, this goes back to, to my own situation. Cause that's the one I know, but like when you, when you, and this is true with like any kind of habit, when you, when you remove a habit, like everyone knows, like you have to replace it with something else that meets the same needs. Otherwise you're going to eventually find your way back to it. And that, as far as I know, is universally true. Maybe there are exceptions. I don't know. But, um, for me, when I, when I decided like, if I'm not going to be driven by this significance thing, which by the way, isn't necessarily like, it's not all bad, right? Like you said, like you got to where you got within the vegan movement, uh, by this, this obsession with hard work and this hat, this, this just like refusing to stop even once you've done plenty of work because it was never enough. And so like that has a dark side. Yes. But it also does give you the benefit of like, you get all that hard work. So that's a good thing for me. The same thing, like this, this drive for significance, this drive to like, you know, uh, be really, really good at something and, and be one of the best at it in the world. Um, which, you know, in, in my mind, like in those days, I was one of the people who was best, one of the fastest growing as far as, you know, a presence online. Um, and one of the first to do it in this space, like, like that's a, I don't know, like for me, that was like, it showed up in, in, in an obsession to learn about this. And like, I, I went years and years without reading like a fiction book because I didn't know why anybody would do that. I just thought like, why would you waste time reading some fictional thing when you could be learning a new skill or getting better at whatever, you know, new little tiny topic within this area of internet marketing and blogging. Like it just, you know, like it showed up as that. And so it was, it, it had, it had its benefits, but it, when it goes too far, uh, as I think it inevitably, inevitably does, um, for most people, it turns out to, to not be such a good thing. But anyway, so like, so once you, once you say, I'm not going to be motivated by that anymore, which is not that simple of a problem. You can't just decide that, but you hit this low point and, and you really feel that like, this is, this is destroying your life in some way. Um, you know, you can't just stop having it. You need to get that need met elsewhere or get those benefits somewhere else. And, and what I decided was that I was going to by, you know, contributing, like I would, I would feel that sense of fulfillment instead from, from contributing, not from feeling like I had done a good job or feeling like I was recognized, you know, either, either like you're talking about like being recognized out or being, getting awards, getting recognition, getting in magazines. Like I just decided like, it's, it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about how much I can contribute. And that's something that I'm still working on. Like that is still, I, I don't feel that same. When I think about that, when I think about having a, a big contribution versus, you know, getting accolades, um, getting like that, that other, like the getting praise the getting accolades, like that one still seems on the surface, like the more exciting thing than, than contributing a lot. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten way, way better. And it, and it hasn't been a deliberate thing. It's been more of like, it was in the, it was, I knew that it was what I, where I wanted to get and where I needed to go, but it took many years to really 
kind of embody that. And I think so much of it happened from having kids. Um, I, I completely poured myself into my kids' sports stuff, uh, which in some ways feels like it's just a transfer of you know me being significant to them being significant. But I don't think it's that. I think I think it bordered on that at times. Um, but I feel like that's kind of for me was sort of like the the micro way of contribution. Like when, when I was thinking about contribution, I would think of it on this like big, large scale, like contribute to the vegan movement, produce you know works and, and help people and. Do, but like, way easier for me to feel the benefit of contribution and feel excited about it is when I see contributing to one person's life and the people who live with me, my kids, who who are you know moldable and who most can use help um that's where i could feel contribution and so i think i've been about as good a dad as they could possibly be if if the goal was like you know um i don't know uh, be, be a standout athlete in something um you know learn how to work hard learn about habits um learn about mindset and the whole growth versus growth mindset versus this fixed mindset. I mean, that that's the stuff that I studied and studied and learned about for myself. And now I can teach that to kids and I can teach them in a way that, that is appropriate for them. Um, so that they don't have to read books and books and books like I did. And, and I can just tell them what they need to know. And like, I feel like I can do a really great job at that. So like, that's where I transferred a lot of that energy. Um, and what's actually cool about it, this is, this was not the intention but I wrote a blog post about Holden, my son, who's a really great soccer player. I've mentioned that many times. Uh, I wrote a blog post on No Meat Athlete this past week about him. Maybe it was two weeks ago now. Um, so anyway, check that out if you're interested because I do talk about him all the time on this podcast. Um, but like three days after that, we went out. We went out to an outlet store to buy him some new shoes. Um, and someone came up. Or I think I, I went over to a different part of the store and my wife and Holden were there. And when I came back, this woman was talking to them like excitedly and they were excited and I could tell that something was up. And I heard her talking about Instagram and how, how she had seen him or something. And I, I just uh, immediately I said, okay, so, so this is a nomad athlete person. Cause I've seen this dozens of times, you know, someone who has seen something and they, they recognize me, which doesn't happen all that much. Cause like I said, I've not put my face on the blog that much, but you know, it happens. People hear my voice or whatever. And they'll say, Hey, you, are you this person? And that's, so I assumed it was that. I assumed it was just, and, and that doesn't happen that much anymore, um, which is fine. But I assumed it was that. And it turned out that this woman had seen Holden on his Instagram channel and just found him on his own on Instagram. And this was like his first time ever just getting recognized in public uh, for his Instagram channel. And I had nothing to do with it. And here I was thinking that, it, oh, it must have been that they, she saw his No Meat Athlete article a few days ago. But it wasn't that at all. It was just that she saw him on Instagram. Um, but that was so cool. Like that was so much better than if she had seen the Nomad Athlete article. So again, not at all to try to like, I'm worried that people hear this and say, oh, so it's all about just getting recognized in public. And now your son's going to have the exact same issue you did. Um, no, that is not the case. And I, I'm very careful to make sure that, that he doesn't get that and, and doesn't go down the same. Now it might happen. It might, it might just be inevitable that like you get a certain amount of that when you put yourself out in the public eye a little bit. Um, but it was just a cool thing to to see that like this was this was not about me at all. Uh, it was about him, and it felt you know it just it just felt like wow this is this is working like I I'm helping him and that's that's what I want. So anyway, um, to to wrap this up here, what happened to me is I went I went so far down that path like I said like and I I tied running I tried I tied fitness I tied all these activities that were healthy and good for me. I tied those into the same significance thing. And so when I decided that I was not going to be motivated anymore by the recognition, the praise, the whatever, the being someone, um, but instead I was just going to, you know, contribute or be a good dad or be a good person at home or whatever. Um, when I decided that, a lot of the drive to to do the running and and run a new race and like, find, like I don't know, a lot of that I realized was was motivated by needing to achieve and needing to whether for me or for other people it was motivated by needing to achieve and so when i got no more when i had no more race goals or no more aspirations of achieving uh it it made me have no reason to run at all and no reason to stay in shape at all and and none of that now luckily i was eating one of the healthiest diets in the world uh, I say one of because it wasn't the healthiest. I definitely had some junk food now and then and i got really into cooking as one of these hobbies i pursued uh and and that is a really fun hobby, but it also, over time, especially during the quarantine period, made me put on a lot of body fat and and truly get out of shape. Like I got to a point where uh, I could still run and play soccer once a week or something, with, with like in an adult league that I was in. 
but I wasn't doing anything else. And and I was eating a ton, a lot and lot of fresh pasta and like just just kind of junky food. Um, and so I actually got unhealthy, which was like the first time I've ever felt that. My heart numbers weren't very good or my uh, my lipids when I got a, a blood test. Um, and that scares me because I have a family history of, of heart issues. Uh, I could see that I was putting body fat on. I knew that I couldn't, you know, go run five miles very easily. And if I had gone in the gym and tried to lift weights, it would have been really bad. So when I when I started with kettlebells six months ago, I had to start at the beginning. I had to start with a 35-pounder, which is, which is you know, already I can I can say wow like I can't believe I was I was that weak then um but anyway so the point is like this this complete swearing off of this significance of this ego uh that led this demonstrates the positive consequences that that those things can actually have because when I stopped chasing those I got less healthy because suddenly I didn't have reasons to to be healthy and be active and be really fit so that kind of switched a little flip or flipped a switch for me. Um, and really like the kettlebell training and, and the, this book, you know, being in its final stages, um, that, that for me kind of marked the beginning of, of a comeback. And I would say like six months ago is when this all kind of began. And when I started to say, I'm going to get myself in shape because I turned 40 at the same time. And I said, by the time I turn 50, I don't want to be in this kind of shape that I'm in at 40. I want to be way, way better so that I don't feel like I'm getting older or like, or like getting older is a bad thing, uh, or that like now it's all downhill. You know, I just, I didn't want that. And I feel like we're like, for me, like suddenly I'm interested in fitness. I'm interested in eating healthily again. I'm tracking sleep. I'm just doing all these, these things that are like wellness habits that I used to care so much about, uh, in those early days of Nomad Athlete when like I would be sharing them with people. Now I'm not necessarily sharing them with people. I share a little bit here and there. Uh, I'm getting a little bit more involved in, in Twitter and Facebook again, and, and blogging and emailing a lot more than I have in been in a long time. Um, but I feel like this time it's different. I feel like in, in this, it's coming, it's, it's this new perspective. And I feel like now it's, I mentioned this pendulum, you can go really far one way and you lose all the benefits of it, but you also get something else. You can come all the way back and you're right back where you started. For me, I feel like I'm ending up in this middle place where like I can, I can do the sharing. I can let people in. I can be trying to achieve. I can even share some of that, but I, I understand, you know, like what it's really about. And I can understand how much more important contribution is than, than, you know, the praise or the accolades or whatever. So that's, that's, I feel like where I am now. It feels like it's something new. It's, it's feels really good. Um, and, and with this book, like it, I guess it just, I don't know if it worked out this way or if this is just maybe what naturally happened because perhaps this is the only book that I could have been a part of the process at this phase in my career. Um, cause I had zero interest in writing another book about my approach to health and fitness. I mean, much, much less than, than before, because I, I didn't want to talk about that anymore. Um, this book is not that plant-based athlete is about really about everyone else in this movement. Yes. We, Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek are in the book. We talk about a little bit about what we do, but I think that's, that's probably what Robert, maybe less than 10. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we each have a page for the one for the day in the life thing. And then a few other paragraphs later in the book were mentioned, but like the other 348 pages are entirely about other people or about concepts. You know, it's just, it's just not about us. Um, so I think it's so great. And, and I think that's why I'm so excited about it. It's like, we can take all this experience. We, what, we have 35 plus years now of experience doing this. Um, all the athletes, all the non-athletes that we've met, that we've talked to, that we've learned from, that we've followed, all the stuff we've studied, we can take all of that now and kind of synthesize it into this 350 pages that to us is like the manual. It is like the, the very best advice we can possibly give, drawing on what all these other people are doing and what's working for all of them uh, for to, to achieve things far, far greater than the things that you and I achieved. Um and then we can put it in a play in a manual for for someone like me and you, who's probably not going to go achieve these things, although some people might. Um, and they can take all this stuff and they can they can get you know they can be a better version of of you know a regular person like like most people reading this will be, uh, as far as their diet, their fitness goes, of course. So that's why this this book at this time was the perfect fit. Uh, truly, like I don't know when you approached me and wanted to write this book, I had I had assumed that I was done writing books. I didn't know if forever, but I just assumed like I just did not have interest in writing another book about my philosophy or my approach. Um, so I thought maybe I wouldn't write any more books. 
Um, but you came up, you came to me with this idea and you said, I want to like make it about other people and, and share all these different athletes stories and all these different athletes approaches. And, you know, I just lit up and I was like, wow, like that, that's a book I actually could write and feel quite excited about. It's the perfect fit for like where I am in this phase of my career and it, where I fit now in this movement. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just, as we talk, I'm realizing it's no coincidence that, that you were are in exactly the same place, right? That you, you came up with the idea for the exact same reasons. Um, because you've gone through the same stuff. So that that's, I think, why this, this partnership has been such a cool way to do a book. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I mean, that, that's where, that's where it leaves off. I feel like I am, as I said, back, back to feeling excited, back to sharing stuff. This pendulum for me feels like it's in the middle where it should be. Doesn't mean that it's always going to stay there. I'm sure it can still keep on swinging one way or the other. Um, but I'm super excited about the next, the next few years and whatever happens with this book. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's that about sums up the ego, the ego episode. Robert, anything to add uh, from your perspective before we sign off? Yeah, just one last thing, and I don't know how you feel about this, uh, but but I, I can kind of gauge it a little bit from your your tone that maybe you feel the sa- same way I do. That there's something really rewarding and re- refreshing and even exhilarating about, in a way, living vicariously through these other athletes in the book. Like we've already had our moments in the sun. We've already had our our moments in our careers and in our athletic careers. And to read these stories of dozens and dozens of amazing plant-based athletes and just, and to kind of watch their careers and read about what they've, what they've done and what they're going through and, and how they got there is just, there's something that's so compelling about that, that in a way. It, it gives me inspiration, you know, it gives me motivation, even though I'm, I'm kind of retired from the sport and much like you, we kind of, we kind of backed away from our competitive careers to do this other greater work of, of contribution and highlighting all these, all these other people. And in doing so, I just get this great sense of, of really this great sense of pride of being able to, in a way, live vicariously through their stories. It doesn't matter if they're a different gender, a different age, a different nationality or anything. I, I just I just connect with their stories so well and draw inspiration from that that that, that gets me, uh, I guess, enthusiastic about why I started my own journey in the first place. Yeah, it kind of I think because we're all in the we all have the plant based thing that ties us all together. And I think it because of that, it can kind of feel like we're like that. These are members of our team that we are watching succeed. So like it's like uh it's like the the here, here I'm going to show how little I know about cycling, but it's like the rest of the team when Lance Armstrong wins his Tour de France. And I know Lance Armstrong is not the most popular of references these days, um, just like Tony Robbins, perhaps. Uh, that uh, you know, like they 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 viewed himself like he was the individual. They were they were helping him to get individual glory, and they kind of got their glory in that way. So it it feels like that supporting role is, and it just feels right now. Exactly, it feels like that's that's where we are in this movement. And that's how we can contribute and support. And I think, as I wrote in a newsletter yesterday, this isn't just another vegan fitness book. In my opinion, this is the vegan fitness book. Like this is the one that encapsulates everything and includes the the greatest plant-based athletes who've contributed to this movement over the decades. And plus all the all the evidence based nutrition and endorsed by all the legends in, in the industry and the movement. Like this, to me, this is that resource and. And to write this with you has been a real honor because of the role that you've played in this movement and the friendship we have that goes back more than a decade now. And, and, and you know, we're just weeks away here from seeing this in stores and revealing this book to the world. And and I, I can't be more excited. So uh, so let's see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun couple of weeks, month, two months, whatever. Maybe even longer than that, I hope. that That would be really awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been quite an honor to work with you, Robert, as I've told you, um, you were one of my really like one of like the three people who, who initially inspired me to be vegan when I was vegetarian. Uh, and I, and I was seeing different people do their approach and there were three people in particular. Uh, the other two were bloggers actually. Um, but you, I saw you speak and I just got just kind of, I just felt it the way you you communicated your sense of passion and, and I thought, man, if that guy can can be vegan and be that energetic and you know look like he does and all that, like I thought, like there's no reason I can't do this. So um, obviously, quite an honor. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it worked out really well. So uh, I hope I hope this podcast, if nothing else, has has given people a 
just a little bit different perspective. I know, I know, you know, we, we can do, and we will do the episodes that we talk about, uh, the way the book can help you and, and the benefits and, and, and nutrition stuff and how, you know, giving, just giving good, valuable content. Um, but I hope this gives people a little different angle, just sort of like where we've been. Uh, I really don't care if it results in you buying a copy of our book because you heard it, but I just, I think it's something that is fun to share. Um, and for some people, I hope it does, I hope it does make you say well, like that, you know, that that book would, would, that it would be interesting to read given what we've kind of been through and where our place now is in this movement. Um, so anyway, that it's all at book.nomadathlete.com. You can pre-order The Plant-Based Athlete. It'll be out June 15th, which is 13 days from when we are recording this, 12 days from when it goes live. And uh, there are lots of pre-order bonuses. So you still have 12 days from the time this first goes live to get those bonuses um, before they expire when the book comes out because they are there to incentivize pre-orders because pre-orders really help uh, the book to get on bookstore shelves and to be promoted and, and put highly in the algorithms of the online bookstores and all that. So like if, if they see that it is being ordered, there's a much, much bigger chance of this book seeing mainstream success and reaching all the people who aren't yet plant-based but could benefit from eating this diet. So please, if you appreciated either my or Robert's work um, or simply this episode or whatever else, um, we would really, really appreciate it if you would consider pre-ordering The Plant-Based Athlete. So again, book.nomadathlete.com. Check it out. Robert, this has been awesome. Um, I like to do a different episode now and then like this, and uh, great to have you to do it with. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for opening up and sharing, too. I think this was really valuable, even just for ourselves, to be able to communicate these thoughts and ideas. Great. All right. Talk to you everyone soon. See you, Robert. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. <laughs>